doing okay today? That good, huh? Very nice. <laughs> hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown Church and so glad that uh, we get to start off our week worshiping our awesome God who, who literally saved our lives. Like what a great way to start the week out together, worshiping Him and hearing from Him and His Word. And so looking forward to our time together doing that now. But um, before I get into that, I've got a little confession to make. Um, had a little bit of wake-up call as a, as a dad couple weeks ago. You see, uh, this is going to make me look really bad, but uh, one, of my, uh, one of my favorite ways to kid around with my, my kids is to really take advantage of their gullibility. And I, I, was probably, I shouldn't probably do that, but it's one of my favorite things to do, just kind of string them along, see what I can get them to believe. And, and, and so they'll like, you know, for example, they'll come up to me like, Dad, what are we doing today? And I'll say, guys, today... Today we're going to do something I've been looking forward to for a long time. I've been waiting for you to get old enough to do it. Like today, we're going to have so much fun. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Today, guys, I'm going to teach you how to fly. We're going to, we're going to like just go get the ladder and you can start going up to the roof. And we're going to get, I'm going to get it. And like, they're like, dad, dad. I'm, or I'll say, you know, today we're going to the moon. We're going to go to the moon. It's going to be the best. And, like, and, and now I've done this long enough with them that they've like figured me out. But sometimes I'll still get them, and I can, like, string them along for a little bit, and then I can tell them, like, just kidding, guys. I'm just kidding with you, and then they'll punch me, and, and it's great. <laughs> well, it, it was great. I thought it was awesome until about two weeks ago when it turns out Enoch, uh, one of my sons who's seven years old, is in second grade. He comes home from school. He tells us that he told everybody in his class that he was moving, and that was his last day in school. <laughs> And so we were like, well, what happened when you said that? And like, they were so sad, and some of them cried. I was like, well, what, what about when you told them you were kidding? He's like, oh, I, I didn't do that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding here. We had multiple calls from Enoch's parents of Enoch's friends in his class calling us that night saying, is it true that y'all are moving? Like, my son got on to me a little bit for that. He's like, that is you. He's following your example. It's like, oh, gosh. <laughs> I have a lot of room to grow as a dad. Uh, I just hope I'm not messing my kids up too bad, right? I need to be a better example to them. When we learn from examples of others, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Well, today, all that is to <laughs> I share that, uh, you know, embarrassing story about myself, to draw contrast to the example we're going to get to learn from to this morning. We're going to look at uh, this passage in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and what we're going to learn in it is we're going to get to see this really awesome, powerful example from the life of the Apostle Paul. And that my hope is that we can actually learn from his good example to see what uh, our faith is supposed to look like in action and what's to drive our faith. Because what we're going to see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you want, you can go there in your Bibles. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, verses 1 through 12 in chapter 2. But what we're going to see in this passage is his example about how our faith is to uh, move us into mission. And it's to move us with pure motives. And it's to move us to love in a really specific way. So that's kind of a preview of where we're going. And really that fits in with the whole theme of this series that we've started just two weeks ago in the book of First Thessalonians. It's kind of the series that we're in right now. We're calling it A Moving Faith. And the reason we're calling this series A Moving Faith is because it's a major theme in the book of First Thessalonians about how our faith is to move us. How God is working within what, what, what we believe that God is at work in our life to move us to grow in Christ's likeness, 
to change us in our character, to be more like God in our character, and that he's moving us to uh, actually, like, literally join him in changing the world. Like changing the world, like that's a big statement, but like that's what God's up to, and He's inviting us to do that, to where He would move us and change us personally, and then move through us to help others come to know Him and literally change the world. And so, our our faith is far from a stagnant faith. That our faith is to be a faith where we are moving and God's changing us and then working through us to change others. And so that's what we've been looking at in this series. And we get to see a powerful example of that in the life of the Apostle Paul in the passage we're, uh, we're studying today. So if you will, uh, go to, uh, like I said, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're looking 1 through 12. Before I read it, one more last word about context. You may remember a couple weeks ago, I shared out of Acts 17 about how the church in, in, in Thessalonica got started. Paul and a couple of his friends, Silas and Timothy, they went there. They preached the gospel the very first time the people had ever heard it in Thessalonica. Many of them believed, but there was also a ton of opposition that came about as a result of them preaching the gospel. And so the, the church there was started in the midst of great uh, conflict and great opposition. And uh, what, as a result of that opposition breaking out, the Apostle Paul and his team, they had to leave Thessalonica very quickly. They'd only been there for, most people think, maybe like four weeks tops until they were going to run out of town. And as you can imagine, Paul was really worried about the new believers in the city wondering, like, are they, how are they doing? Like, are they still walking with God? Or, or did those that were opposing the gospel, have they convinced them, the new believers, to walk away from this? Like, are they, like, is anything taking root? And so he actually sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to check in on them. And then Timothy returns later to Paul with great news. He says, Timothy tells Paul, like, man, the church there is flourishing. Like they're really walking with God, even in the face of opposition. In fact, they're, they're walking with God so much, they become a model to all of those in the region around them of what it looks like to turn away from idols and turn and cling fast to the one true God and to, uh, you know, to love Christ and to make him known. It's like, it's like just great news. And so Paul, like having heard this great report from Timothy, sits down to write them a letter. That's the letter that we're studying. And he, he sends them like this encouraging letter, commending them for their faith and praising God for what God's doing in their lives. But he also addresses a couple things, that, uh, of, a couple of places of concern or what he knows is some opposition that they're facing. And the primary opposition that they're facing comes as a result of what um, the people that didn't believe the gospel were saying about Paul that the people that were opposing the gospel in Thessalonica were trying to undermine the, the Paul's ministry by cutting out the legs of Paul's credibility. Now, basically, they were saying, hey, Paul, what he, was, he was just like selling you a bag of goods. Like he, was, he was just trying to like just get you in on something, but he was really he was just trying to get money from you. And when things got hard, he headed out of town because he doesn't care about you. And so they were trying to undermine his ministry by like really, oppose, like really you know, cutting his legs out as far as his credibility goes. And so Paul, this part of the letter, begins to address some of those concerns. And he has a lot to say about why uh, the, the believers in Thessalonica can trust his credibility. So let me read it given that context. Here's what he says, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered 
and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Uh, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we see glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. All right, so this is a great passage. And like I said, there's a lot here that we can learn from and, and really even evaluate when it comes to Paul's example here of what he says, uh, what, how he was living, and why he was doing what he was doing. And for us, guys, what I want us to do this morning is just to, like holding up Paul's example, evaluate, like, are, am I doing, for you to personally ask, like, am I doing what Paul was doing for the reasons that Paul was doing it? And just kind of evaluate, learn from his example. And the very first thing we see in this passage in regards to his example is that, is that we see that our faith is to move us to be on mission. Our faith is to move us to be on mission. Or to put it another way, that our faith is to move us to, to live with a, a missional initiative, to take initiative to join God in his mission on the earth. And like you see that from the very first thing he says in verse 1. Look, look at it again. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now let's ask a question. Why did Paul come to them? Was it because the church in Thessalonica actually invited Paul to come speak there. Hey, well, you guys come. I want to hear what you have to say. No, it wasn't because there was no church in Thessalonica. None of them had ever heard of the gospel before. They weren't sending out an invitation to Paul. Paul and his team had chose to take initiative to take the gospel to the people in Thessalonica. And to use the, the, the wording that we use here as a church, like Paul identified them as a people group that needed to be saturated with the message of the gospel. And so he, taking his initiative, went there to bring the gospel to them. They took initiative. That's one example for us. second thing we see from here is that it required great boldness for Paul and his team to do this. I mean, go back to verse 2. He says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And if you had took the time and went back to Acts chapter 16, what you would read is his account of going to the city of Philippi, which is the city that he went to directly before he came to the city of Thessalonica. And what you would see in Acts 16 is that Paul's time in the city of Philippi was far from easy. So like he comes to Philippi and he's not there very long until he's arrested, until he's flogged, like beaten, and imprisoned. 
And God miraculously frees them from prison. It's an awesome story. You should go back and read it this afternoon, whatever. But like God frees them from, from prison, and then he heads out of town, and he heads to Thessalonica. Now, you would make sense for him to say, like, I think I'm going to lay low for a little while. Like, if you ask Paul, hey, summarize, what was your time like in Philippi? He would say, hey, well, we suffered there, and we were shamefully treated. That was what my time was like in Philippi. And yet he comes to Thessalonica to bring the gospel there. And we saw in Acts 17, his time in Thessalonica wasn't easy. Like, there was great opposition there. It was like this riot, like, stirred up in the city, and he's run out of town. And yet, he's going with this missional initiative to take the gospel to these people. He's living on mission. This is his example to us. And he says, man, it's required me to be very bold because it is hard. And there's a lot that was pushing against me to want to back down, to want to shrink back, to want to go home or just look out for myself. So he had to act boldly. And guys, we there's a lot to learn there from his example. Like for us, to live on mission, it requires boldness. And like thankfully, we don't face imprisonment or being flogged. <laughs> thankfully, like seriously, thankfully, we don't face that. But we do face other things that push up against us that would cause us to shrink back or to feel intimidated to keep us from living on mission. Most of those things, if you're like me, are, are things like my own fears, my own insecurities, own selfishness. And like for me to live on mission, like I gotta like boldly confront those and act even though instead of being intimidated by them. And what we see in this passage is Paul tells us where his boldness came from. Like, did you notice that? He says, uh, we had boldness where? Where did it come from? In our God. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. See, Paul would say, okay, man, I, we've been beaten, we've been in prison, we got riots, like, man, I'm scared, but I got to be bold. Well, where's my boldness coming from? It's, it's coming from, I know the God of the universe, I know the God who's, who is greater, as we just sang. I, I know the one who is in control of all things and who's mighty to save, and I know he loves me. I know he cares enough about me that Jesus died for me. I can trust him. And so I will go, even though I'm intimidated, I will choose to be bold, not just because I've got it in me, I'm a courageous person. No, because I know God. I know who he is and what he's promised. I find boldness in God. And that's where his boldness comes from. Guys, that's where our boldness has to come from. You say, well, like, yeah, yeah I, I'm an introvert or, or I've got scars or I've got, and it's like, yeah, I, there are so many, like, every one of us could just come up with, you know, reason to be intimidated and not to live on mission. And they're like, they all feel really valid. Because, God is real. Like, he's awesome. And he's powerful. And he's got you. And he loves you. And there's boldness to be found in him. That we would act boldly, declaring the gospel, even in the face of much opposition or conflict, as Paul says here. Now, one other thing of note that Paul says, like, I think it's his boldness in God that really led him to do this, but there is something that he, that's worth mentioning in addition to that. When he says, we had boldness in our God, notice the plural there. 
Like, it's so helpful if you are linked with other people who are trying to live on mission, who are also saying, okay, I'm going to try to have boldness in God. And I just can, like, I can almost guarantee you, though, I can't, I can't go that far, but my, like, I can almost guarantee you that there were multiple times where Paul and Silas and Timothy were having to borrow from each other's faith to stay bold and then live in on mission with God. Where they're having one of them saying, man, like, I just don't know if I can face it again. Like, <laughs> that flogging, I don't think I want another one of those. Like, I think I'm going to head home. And, like, the other guys are going, hey, guys, hey, let's just remember who God is. Let's just remember what he's done for us. Let's be bold with him, in him. And the other guys saying, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. I needed to hear that. And that together they were bold with Christ. And guys, in our MCs, like that's one of the big things that we're trying to do in our Midtown communities is to have a community of people where you are known and loved and connected to who will encourage you to keep walking with God even when you're scared and that they can, like, you can link arms with and find boldness in God to continue to live on mission because our faith, our God leads us, leads, uh, moves us to live on mission. All right. But it's hard, right? I mean, overcoming our, our stuff, it, it's not easy. I, mean, I remember one of, my, uh, one of the times this was most vivid for me was I was um, getting ready to plant Midtown. We, my family and I had already moved into central Austin. We were living on Red River and 38, uh, 48th Street. And um, we, uh, we had gotten to know our neighbors, and we had awesome neighbors, uh, really good friends with them. One of them was a, a guy across the street from me, a guy named Steven. We had become really good friends. We had hung out a number of times, watched some games together, gone to movies together. Like, we were becoming really good friends. And... Um, it came a point of time where we and our MC said, okay, we've, like, we should introduce something to introduce our friends to Jesus just to see if they'd be interested in finding out more about Christ. And so we did this thing called Alpha. We invited our friends to just explore Christianity with us. And so we got to a point where we we're going to make those invites. And I remember vividly, like walking across the street, I'm not kidding, walking across the street to Stephen's house to give him an invitation to come to this Alpha thing with us, to explore Christianity with us. And I crossed the street, and then I stopped. And I'm like right in front of his house, and I thought, yeah, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think now is a good time to do that. I'm going to go. And so I walked back across the street to my house. So I'm crossing Red River, right? And, I go back to, and then I get, to, I get back to the other side of the street by my house, and I think, no, 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 I, like, I'm going to do this. Like, I've... I've come to plant a church in central Austin. I moved here for this purpose. Like, I'm going to try to, I need to invite him to come to this. And so I turn back around and I walk back towards this house. So I cross Red River again. But then I get into the middle of Red River. I'm, and I'm literally like in the middle of the street and I'm doing this kind of thing. And I'm just trying to think, what am I going to say? And I don't know if I'm going to do this. And, and I'm just going back and forth. And finally, like, I just had to stop and pray and say, God, I'm a coward, and I'm scared to death of doing this. Help me remember that you're with me. Did you place me in this house with Stephen as my friend across the street for a purpose? That you love, the, that you love him? Help me remember that, that you know, I like, am yours, and you've got me, and I don't, like, my 
security and my significance and my identity is not found on what this guy says or not. And I just had to go back and find boldness in God in the middle of Red River. Like I was in the middle of the street. And then I finally crossed the street and made, made that invite. Guys, I know it's hard to live on mission, to live boldly, but there's boldness to be found in God, and this is part of what our faith looks like. Is that happening in your life? Are you living with any missional initiative? Are you living with any boldness? Are you find boldness in God to declare the gospel even in the midst of conflict? So evaluate. It's a helpful example. This is what our faith looks like. Okay, but it, let me keep going. So the other example that we see here is really helpful to hear. And that is that our faith moves us with pure motives. That our faith moves us with pure motives. Like Paul has a lot to say in this passage regarding this. Because as you remember, like that's the big attack against him. Is that the, the, the opposition was saying that, you know, trying to debunk Paul's ministry by, by, you know, calling him out, saying that he wasn't credible. Like he wasn't in it really out of love and what his message wasn't true because he was just out to make a buck and just get out of there and all that stuff. And so he has a lot to say here. Like it's really important for them uh, for he, for the, those in Thessalonica to hear from him, like, man, my motives in coming to you were pure. Look what he says in verse 3. He, he says, um, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to, and be entrusted with the gospel, uh, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. And then he keeps going. For we never came with words of flattery, flattery being like, you know, saying nice things about someone, not just to, you know, get them to feel good, but to get them to feel good so they'll do something for you so you can manipulate them. He says, man, that's not what I was after. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed, like we weren't out to try to make a buck off you. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we would uh, have made them, though we, I'm sorry, uh, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And I'll stop there. Basically, he's saying, like, you need to know, like, we, the reason we came to you, it wasn't for these wrong reasons. It wasn't even just to please you. We, we were there to please God. That we weren't there to try to make a buck off of you, to try to manipulate you. Later on in the passage, he makes a point like, hey, you remember like how we would toil night and day so that we wouldn't be a burden on you? Like he wasn't asking for money from them that he was trying to share the gospel with. He said, we worked hard so that we didn't take any money from you. And he keeps appealing to their, their common knowledge. You see it again and again. He repeats in this passage, like, you know this, you know this, as you know, as you know. Like, you remember this, guys? Like, we were, we were there out of pure motives. And Paul's whole point is that he understands that the motive behind mission is important. That our motive behind mission is important. That no one wants to be treated like a project or an assignment. That no one wants to be friends with someone that it clearly has some kind of ulterior motives behind that, right? That they're just trying to get you to buy into something or so they could you know, sell you something. Like No one wants to be friends with someone like that. And Paul knows that the motive behind mission is important. And guys, we know that. And those that are in our, the people in our lives, they know that too. 
And here's what I so appreciate what Paul is drawing out here. As he's saying, the thing that's driving us to be on mission is not this impure motive. We're trying to get something from you. We're trying to get a notch on our belt or something that's going to make us feel good or look good or something that we're personally benefiting from. So the thing that's driving us on mission is first, we're saying God's commissioned us. Like he sent us. We're going because he sent us. Like he's, entr- he's approved us in Christ and he's entrusted us with the gospel. And so we go not to please man, but to please God. So we're going because God's commissioned us. And we need to understand, if you're a Christian, God has commissioned you. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, forgiveness of your sins, then you've been forgiven by God. You've been reconciled to God, and you've been given a new identity. You've been called an ambassador or representative of God. You see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so God has commissioned you. The very gospel you've believed, he's now entrusted you to pass on to others. Like we've been commissioned. That's one reason why we go. We go to please God. But the other reason he draws out here is that he says, we go, and I'll get into it in a second. But he's saying, we go because we love and guys, love is the purest motive, right? And why become a friend? Why do we become friends with our neighbors, our classmates, our roommates, or whatever, our coworkers, whoever is in our life? Why do we go out of our way to get to know them and become friends with them? Let me tell you the Christian motive: love. And when Jesus says, "Hey, what's the greatest commandment?" He gets asked that. He boils it all down to this: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is at the heart, the essence of Christianity. It's, it's love as the motive. And we go because of love. We go to people that we don't know, like Paul did to the church of Thess- I mean, to the people of Thessalonica before he'd ever met them. He goes there because he knows God loves them. The people matter much to God. The people are not projects to God. People are people to God that God created and cares deeply about. So we go to them because God loves them. When we go to them and actually get to know them, then we love them personally. We, we befriend them because we love them, as Paul starts talking about. Like we became this desirous affection of you. He's talking about like this deep care, this deep love for you that, that built up in him. Like we go, guys, because of love. That's the motive behind our mission. People matter to God. God loves them. God loves us. We love God. We love God. Moved by his love to go love others. So here's why this all plays into mission. We do not go to people just to share the gospel with them. That's not the only reason we go to people. We go to love people because God loves them. And we ask God to help us love them. In our love for them, we, we seek to become true friends to them. Like true friends. Hang out with, enjoy, have dinner with, go to the movies with. Be friends. Like we, we do that. We're moved by God to love them because we see all people matter to him. And in our love for them, that includes serving them. And, guys, it goes without saying, or at least it should, that means telling them about the God who loves them. They're telling them about the love that they've longed for all their lives. The love that they've always been seeking after. The unconditional love of God displayed in Jesus Christ for them. 
we tell them about that as an act of love. It would be unloving not to tell them about the God who died for them that they could spend forever with them. But that's not the only part of the striving. It's not like if they don't believe that, then we leave and we write them off and like, we're done with you. If you won't believe what I believe, then I'm not your friend. No, 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 no. We're still their friend. We're still friends because we love them. We go on mission out of love. Part of that includes telling them about the gospel. It would be unloving to leave that part out. But it would be unloving if all we did was just to tell them about the gospel and care nothing about them as a person. Now we go to love them. Does that make sense? That's the, that's the motive that drives our mission. Paul gets real specific here. Like what, to, you know, what degree of love? Like what exactly does that look like? When he goes on in this, in this passage saying in verse 8, so, uh, or saying verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we, not, we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Guys, here's an example. How, how much do we love people? Man, we love them enough to treat them like a nursing mother treats a child. And for the nursing mothers in this room, like, you know, that's probably the most sacrificial kind of love that there is on the planet Earth, right? Like, you have a baby from your own body, and then you keep them alive. Like, even though, you know, at night, they're waking up, like, five or six times a night, and you're, like, wake up, and you're, like, you know, giving of yourself to keep this baby alive. Like, you're gentle to it, even though it's screaming, he or she's screaming in your face all the time. You're like, yeah, that's all right. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. Like, just give, 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 give. You're not getting much in return those first few months with your baby. And you just give, give. Like, Paul says, that's how we were with you. Why? Because we genuinely loved you. You became so dear to us. I would treat you like a nursing mother does her child. Like, that's how much I love you. And then he, he keeps going. Oh, and no, I want to point out verse 8. It's one of my favorite verses. He, he says this. Uh, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you became so very dear to us. And so you hear that? Paul would say, like, Paul of all people is not going to downplay the importance of the gospel. And yet here in this passage, he says, like, we, we weren't just coming to share the gospel with you. That would be awesome. That's the best. And yet he says, like, that's, that, like, we weren't just doing that. We were there to share our whole lives with you. To give all of our whole selves to you. And so you have anyone in your life that you're doing that with? Anyone you're loving to that degree? You say, man, I'm loving them like a, like a nursing mom. You probably don't want to tell them that. That's kind of weird, right? But, but you say, man, I'm just giving and giving and giving, and I'm happy to do so because I love them so much. And I'm going to share the gospel with them, but not just share the gospel with them, but share my whole life with them. 
Then Paul moves on to the other side of the parental equation when he says, uh, verse 10, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Here he says, I mean, like, like a father does in trying to raise up his children, to teach them and encourage them, to call them forward, to grow up into maturity. He's like, man, that's what we were doing with you. So we were gentle with you. We nurtured you like a, like a nursing mother. And then we were like a father to you who came alongside of you and encouraged you and, 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 and urged you to walk with God. Like, we, I cared about you like you were my own kids. Like, you were not a project to me. You were precious to me. You're like my own child. Like, I loved you. I wanted to give my whole life to you. I want to see you come to know Jesus. I wanted to see you flourish. I want to see you walk with Christ. And I gave everything when I was with you. My motives were pure. See, I, I loved you. I loved you like a mother. I loved you like a father. Guys, do you have anyone in your life that you're loving like that? See, our, our, our faith is to move us on mission, with taking a missional initiative to move us to be bold in God. It's to move us with pure motives to love people like they're not projects, but as they truly are, as people who are precious to God and become precious to us, like our very own children, if you will. Like we, we love them as a mother or a father. Like we give of ourselves to love them, to love them, and to love them. And a part of that love is that we share the gospel with them and we share whole lives with them. Are you doing that? If you're like me, you see this in Paul's example, and you think, man, that's a high calling. <laughs> and if I really evaluate in my own life, I feel like, man, I, I don't know. Like if I was truly honest with you, I'd say, man, I'm, I'm inconsistent at best when I look at this example. And then if you were to take it one more step, you say, okay, well, who was Paul's example? <laughs> Like, what caused him to live this way? He was like, oh, well, Paul's example was Jesus. Oh, okay, oh, so that, oh, that's the example? Well, yeah, man, that's really a high calling. And you think about how Jesus has loved us, right? Like, Jesus, talk about missional initiative. Like, he came to us, leaving heaven to come to earth to be with us on his own initiative. Like, we certainly didn't invite him. We had rejected him. And yet he came after us and talk about boldness that he stares the rejection of his father down in the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, God, take this cup from me if, if, if at all possible, but not what I will, but your will be done. And then with boldness, he goes and faces the cross, the physical, the emotional, the relational torture that he experienced on our behalf as he hung on the cross. Talk about boldness in mission. And you talk about how Paul says, hey, we came not just to share the gospel with you, but our whole lives as well. Jesus would say, I came so that you could have the gospel because I shared my whole life with you. I died for you. And you talk about Jesus as the example here. That's our example. But hear this, friends. This is probably the best news of the whole morning. Jesus was not just our example but he was 
and is our Savior. And where we are called to live that kind of life, none of us do. But the good news is that Jesus lived the life that we're called to live and then he died in our place for our failure to do so. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, Jesus not just forgives you of your sins, he doesn't just make way for you to be with God forever, though that's incredible, but he also becomes your very righteousness. And that in Christ you are righteous. You are blameless, as Ephesians talks about, in the eyes of God, that everything that you were supposed to do, Jesus has done for you and done so perfectly. He is not just our example, but he is our Savior. He is your Savior. Cling to him and then respond in this way with rejoicing, with rejoicing for what Jesus has done for you. He has lived the life that we're supposed to live. He's died the death that we deserve to die. Rejoice, hallelujah, he's our righteousness. And then respond with faith. Because here's the promise of Jesus, that what he's done for you, he now wants to do through you. And our response to this is to see Jesus, his example, as our Savior, and to say, Jesus, what you've done for me, I find my righteousness. Now will you do that through me, that I can with you live on mission? with pure motives, loving people like you love people. And guys, he can do that through you. He can and he wants to. So will you rejoice and will you respond with faith and allow him to move in this kind of way? That's our invitation, our awesome God. Guys, this is what the Christian faith is supposed to look like and it's because of Jesus it is possible. May we move out in faith rejoicing what he's done for us. Me pray, and then uh, we're going to respond in a time of worship. Father God, thank you so much for how you've loved us. Father, you, you gave your son for us. You are a good, good father. Lord, we call to love people like a, a, a nursing mother, like a, like a father. God, you're a perfect example of what a father looks like. Who gives of gives of yourself, that gives your son, that we would uh, come to know uh, you, be a part of your family, that gives your spirit, Lord, that we would walk with you in a manner worthy of our calling. God, we thank you for how you've loved us. Jesus, thank you that you're not just our example, but God, you're our Savior. And God, may we rejoice in that. And God, may we believe that you can live this out through us, that many others could come to know you and experience your love through us and through you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, we're going we're gonna, to um, move into a time of worship to just respond to how awesome our God is. And the first way we want to do that is by taking an offering. So we want to ask the ushers to come up, and we're going to begin uh, taking an offering. I want to remind you guys to drop your connection cards and these offering buckets, we'd love to know that you're here and know how to be praying for you. So you can do that during this time. I also want to just remind you, it, it, you know, this is, we ask our partners and regular tenders to respond and worship this way. So whether it's online or right here, it's a way to give, uh, you know, to show that we trust God 
and to, and to invest in the work that he's doing in our city and our world to get the gospel to every man, woman, and child. And so it's an awesome way to respond and worship to him. If you're visiting with us, please feel no obligation to give. Guys, y'all can start collecting, well, passing those out. Also, as uh, those are being passed out, uh, we're going to uh, uh, kind of transition here to communion and We've got an uh, opportunity for anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone and forgiveness of your sins to come and take part of the communion table. And so we've got elements up here and, and in the back as well. And we, do, we take communion as a way to remember tangibly that Jesus' body truly was broken for us and his blood was truly poured out for us because he deeply loves us. And that in his love for us, he came to us like I said, in his own initiative, boldly and sacrificially loving us to the greatest extent that we've ever imagined with the love that you've always longed for. And as we take communion, you were remembering that this is how God has loved us. And as we take it, I want you uh, to just pray and, and praise God for his love, that Jesus not just died for you, that your sins would be forgiven, but that he would actually become your righteousness. And then ask him to move through you even starting this week, to love others like he's loved you. Let me pray, and then we'll, the communion table will be open. Father God, again, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your body broken, your blood spilled, that we would know that you have loved us to this degree. May, may you move us by your love to love others, allow you to love others through us like this, that they would know you too. Christ's name we pray. Amen.